my mic's not on. Should I start over? <laughs> Good morning. Like love service. Yada, yada, yada. I'm better now. <laughs> it's okay. No, honestly, thank you for being here. I wanted to give you a quick update. I was saying, you're probably watching at home wondering what was happening. My voice is back. Uh, we do have staff that have tested positive for COVID or family members. We have staff that are distressed, so we're scrambling here. I imagine many of us uh, know someone uh, who uh, is sick or has been sick, so thank you for being here. I see a lot more folks here that are, are new. Welcome to our guests. Welcome to those that are here watching at home, those who wear masks, all of that. Uh, so the update was that uh, I got boosted on Wednesday, went out to a friend's house on Thursday. Friday night was Christmas Eve service, and between the first and second service, Cheryl calls to say, we've been exposed, what can we do? Christmas fine. Uh, Sunday evening, just a little tickle in the throat. Does anyone have a tickle in the throat? Ushers? There's a tickle in the throat. Huh? And, uh, but, by, but by Tuesday, I did indeed uh, uh, test positive. But now, and thankfully, David was able to uh, step in, and, and he scrambled around, and he's now on a flight flying uh, back to Michigan to work on his doctorate program. So, yeah. All right, this is going to be the odd transition to our sermon series, Receiving the Holy Spirit, John 2022, perfect for 2022, in which John 2022 records, and then Jesus breathed the breath of God on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And doc, Dr. Luke picks up the recorded history of, in the book of Acts, writing that until Jesus ascended back to heaven, he instructed his chosen Apostles now, the sent ones, it says, through the Holy Spirit, he instructed them. It says that he, he gave the people, quote, many convincing proofs that he was alive. Jesus is walking around. That's a pretty good proof that he is alive again. That he appeared for 40 days and he taught more and more about the kingdom of God. And, and then he says that he commanded his disciples to wait in Jerusalem. They were having a meal. Imagine Jesus in his post-resurrection body, eating dinner, conversing. And people, the, the disciples are asking now, now apostles, well, well, when is it going to happen? When is everything going to be made right again? When will kingdom finally come from heaven to earth? When will you restore Israel? When, when, when? They want to know the timetable. And he says to them, chill. That's in, my, in my, my translation, the Greek says chill. He says, wait, it's not for you to know the timetable of the Father, but, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So what does it mean to receive the Holy Spirit today? And what does it look like when the kingdom of God is coming? What, what, is, what does that look like? And what should we be mindful of in the midst of this waiting on the Lord to receive the Holy Spirit and seeing his kingdom come? Like his first disciples, we are in a holding pattern, aren't we? We are waiting to receive afresh the Holy Spirit in this new year. All this time we've been waiting and in 2022, we are now saying, Lord, we're waiting, we're patiently waiting for you. We need to understand what it means to receive the Holy Spirit afresh, what it looks like to see the kingdom of God at work, and, and what 
warning signs, what encouragements might the Lord give us that would be instructive? Today's passage in Acts chapter 8 is packed with, with instruction and warning and invitation, all relevant uh, to all of us here and you watching at home in receiving the Holy Spirit. So by way of review of the book of Acts, Acts follows the unrepeatable outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. That is the birthday of the church. As the gospel uh, was poured out on the disciples, Luke records it looked something like fire on, on their heads. He, he probably didn't have words to describe it. That's the closest he could come up with it. Our image here for our sermon series, this is the closest we could come up of it. This is a, an image, a rendering of a subatomic particle. Anyone ever seen a subatomic particle? Ant-Man maybe? But no, we don't know. This powerful event happens. And just as Jesus said would happen, the gospel begins to spread throughout Jerusalem. And eventually it will then go to the outskirts of Judea and Samaria, and eventually all the way to the capital of Rome. In fact, the book of Acts could be outlined by those three parts uh, from the beginning to the end of the book. The church's early success on Pentecost and in the weeks and months that followed in Jerusalem was like fire. People coming to faith in the way and in Jesus. But it almost stopped in Jerusalem, dead in its tracks. If it hadn't been for a tragic, senseless, fateful, unexpected event, the first murder of a Christian. We use the word martyr or martyrdom, martyr, martyrdom of Stephen, but it was a murder. The hands of, of men put in charge with stones that triggered an expulsion of the disciples and a scattering of the people. One of the early church fathers, Tertullian, said, the blood of the martyrs becomes the seed of the church. And so that's a, a little bit of a background of what was happening here in those early days, the first year or so of the church, Jesus ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, people began to believe in Jerusalem, and then persecution begins. So we pick it up, if you want to open your Bible to Acts chapter 8, in the first four verses, I'm going to read the text, speak for a little bit, read a little bit more, make sure you're still awake, read a little bit more, talk a little bit, and then we'll pray. Acts chapter 1. Verses 1 to 4, it will also be on the screen. On that day, great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered. Diaspora is the Greek where they're the, the dispersion of people. They were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and more deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And those who'd been scattered preached the word wherever they went. This intense persecution was a state-sponsored terrorism in the name of religion and civil order. And it was led by Saul. Maybe you've gone to church for a long time, but maybe if you're not familiar, Saul, a Pharisee who was leading this terrible campaign of, of horror, becomes later Paul the great apostle. Interesting detail that Dr. Luke includes here that the apostles were not kicked out. It's just an interesting little detail. Why would it be there? Because it probably happened. Venture to guess why? I have no idea. 
Maybe the officials wanted to keep tabs on the key leaders and players, kind of keep them under house arrest. But just an interesting detail. But all the other followers of Jesus were deported, kicked out, or dragged from their homes and imprisoned. Imagine the horror, the fear, the tremendous loss, all because of one sermon, Stephen going out and, and talking about Jesus to people in the street, answering a few questions, and they began to pick up stones, and they murdered him, and it triggered an escalation of violence. Now, this is a time when some preachers will say, okay, I, I need to make sure this relates to my people. And so they, you'd read this passage about this terrible first persecution and murder and loss, and, and the pastor would say, you ever have a bad day like Stephen and, and the rest of the early church? You ever have a day like that? That's cringeworthy. I just want to say, no. I've, no, I've never experienced anything like that. I've never experienced anything close to that. The worst thing that's happened to me in the past two weeks, we had an ice dam that backed up and the water came into our guest room. And so I needed to, to uh, look at this big hole in the ceiling and my big struggle was calling USAA to file a claim with my insurance. Oh, the horror, right? Somebody, somebody said happy holidays and they didn't say Merry Christmas. Oh my gosh, the persecution. We can't relate to this, folks. In reality, there are Christians around the world that certainly can. We need to be praying for them. But we can't say, oh yeah, let's just make a quick jump from what we see here, this historical event, to our own lives. We can't relate, but we can see instruction in what's recorded here. These saints lost everything. They lost everything. There's nothing else to rely on. And when you've lost everything, if you're a Christian, then you know that all you have is Jesus and all you need is Jesus. For here we see they had lost everything, yet they had received the Spirit. They were faithful witnesses in Jerusalem, and their loyalty provoked this kind of persecution. Somehow, some way, by divine providence, that pain and loss had a purpose in God's love. There's no way we could understand that at that time, but two millennia later, we are here, you are there as part of the church because of their pain and loss in the mystery of divine providence being used for God's purposes and ultimately his love. Verse 4, scattered, terrorized, grieving, deeply offended, yet they preached the word. They were witnesses. They went forth and shared the gospel wherever they went. Now those disciples, when they were waiting and hiding out and, and scaredy pants in the upper room, they weren't strategizing. Okay, now, uh, folks, okay, some of you stay here and some others you go over here. No, they were just scared and waiting and then Jesus came. And 40 days later, they didn't know how this was going to work out. All of this was by God's providence and the working of the Holy Spirit. What were the people doing? What's instructive for us? They were waiting patiently. And when they were called upon, even in the most difficult of times, they were witnesses. That's very relatable to us right now in 2022. 
but the setbacks and the delays and the hardships and the conflict and the world resistance that is provoking us, the Holy Spirit is on the move, church. The Holy Spirit is on the move right now. Verse 5 to 8. Now Philip went down to the city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. Now this is not Philip, Philip the apostle. This isn't Philip, one of the, the 12. This is Philip the deacon. He, he, he's not trained to be an evangelist a preacher, or a church planter. His training is to take care of people in need. He's a Hellenistic Jew. That means a, a non-Hebrew, God-fearing man from a Gentile country who speaks Greek rather than Aramaic. And we see this in uh, chapter 6 of the book of Acts. There was a great need and concern for Hellenistic believers, uh, re retirees and widows, these older women who, who were in great need, who didn't speak the language. They spoke Greek, not uh, Aramaic. And the apostles said, look, we need to assign some men to serve as deacons, ministries of care and mercy to these people. And Stephen was one of them. And this Philip was one of them too. This isn't his training. And yet he's the first non-Palestinian-born follower of Jesus recorded in human history to preach the gospel outside of Israel and, by the way, being used by the Holy Spirit to perform miracles. I really want to stress this to you. Again, he was a deacon. Raise your hand if you've served as a deacon in our church or another church. Do we have any deacons here? Do you want, do you want to come up? Do you want to? No? Well, you, well, you could. This is a, this is, there's no training. There's no nothing. It's the working of the Holy Spirit to empower God's people for whatever the duty is that God has assigned to us at that moment. It's a beautiful scene. He's lost everything. He's caught up in this expulsion from Jerusalem. He flees the city. He's, he's at his wit's end. He winds up in Samaria and becomes a witness, one man bringing the gospel to an unreached people group. Now let's talk a little bit about Samaritans and and maybe, again, if you've grown up in church and you study this, you know this, but there was great animosity between the Samaritans uh, and the Jews. And we won't go into all the history. There's a lot of bad blood there. But Samaritans were marginalized. They were called terrible things uh, by Jewish people. They'd call them half-breeds. They'd say, you're not even Jewish. There were things that they, they had in common, common beliefs, but there are certain differences in theology. Here we have a Hellenistic Jew, himself not 100% kosher, He's a, a refugee in a town of Samaria, and he begins to share the word. And it says, quote, they paid close attention to him. See, he was uniquely positioned to have a voice and an opportunity to speak. To make matters a lot easier, he spoke, and then the Holy Spirit worked wonders, miraculous signs through him. And it says the people experience, look what it says, deliverance, exorcisms, healings, and great joy. In short, 
They were experiencing the kingdom of God. This is what the kingdom looks like. Deliverance, exorcisms, healings, and great joy. Now, important to note, this is an exceptionally unique time. The very first cross-cultural expansion. We need to be careful how, how we apply this to today. We can't take this and say, okay, well, it definitely applies in the same way, this unique one-time event. But what we can say is this, receiving the Holy Spirit, experiencing revival, looks like joy. I got here in 2018, 2018 and 19, there was revival happening here. Were you here? Did you see it? There was a joy, there was a buzz, there was excitement. People would say, there's something different happening here. We're excited about what God's on the move here in this region. And then we hit the pandemic. And now we're waiting. The events of chapter 8 are totally unpredictable. It relies solely on the faithfulness of this one man living out his purpose and waiting for God to show up powerfully. That's instructive to me. It ought to be instructive to you. You might be the very person. I don't want to point at people as I do the thumb thing. You might be the person in our church that God has anointed and is calling to step up to lead revival. Well, not me. I don't have training. I, well, not. There's Philip, a deacon, used by God receiving the Holy Spirit and being faithful to the calling of God. It might be in your workplace. It might be in your professional vocation. Oh, I don't do ministry. What do you do? Well, I, I just have a regular nine to five. That's ministry. That's vocation. Ryan's got a class tomorrow, right? So, Verses nine and following, nine to 13. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he, was, he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God, and in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So Simon himself believed and was baptized and followed Philip wherever, followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So Simon was a Samaritan rock star. He relished godlike status. The people of all stations of life agreed he was the man. He was so cool. He was an influencer. They hung on his every word. They called him the great power of God. He amazed them with his magic tricks. Here comes Simon. Just watch him. This guy looks so cool. How does he do it? People love people with power and influence. People love godlike people. In in human history, not not everyone has had a Judeo-Christian belief in in a one true great God. Oftentimes, most uh, world cultures have Develop some understanding of gods that are part human-like. They're human-like. They have godlike characteristics. And here's Simon fitting that mold. We like worshiping godlike figures. That's why Marvel movies and Disney. Now I'm, I'm 
pressing the buttons. And Star Wars is so popular. Yeah, I want to be able to do that. It's like, kazam, zip, 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 boom. I mean, do you think if we had the entire Marvel uh, universe relied on Hawkeye who just shoots a bow and arrow, do you think they'd make billions of bucks? Like, oh, yeah, the archer's going to shoot some arrows. Like, no, we want, we want God-like people so we can relate to them. Like, I wish I could fly like that. That's what's happening here. Simon relished the role for years and years. And his greatest trick, his greatest illusion, was manipulation. He knew how to make people feel a certain way, feel bliss, get that dopamine hit, that they were a part of something special. And he had immense influence and power over these people. But then here comes along Philip, talking about Jesus. And I, I'm just going to make a little bit of an assumption, a little bit of a leap. He is a deacon. He's not trained in this. He probably isn't necessarily, wasn't called out by the apostles for his oratory ability, but for his caring, loving, uh, good-naturedness. So he probably kind of fumbled around and said, okay, well, thanks for coming. I just want to share a few words. And it says the people hung on his every word. Why? Because after he fumbled through his message and told them a little bit about Jesus, he said, well, does anyone need prayer? People came, and they saw, and they experienced supernatural, no illusion, but real healing. And so Simon was outmatched. His ego deflated. Fandom faltered. His stock began to fall. And so he said to himself, if you can't beat him, join him. And here is the warning for the church, folks. We had the instruction. Here comes the warning. For a church like ours, a church that's making big moves in our community, a church that is seeing revival happening, and then that we see a setback and we're in a holding pattern, we're weathering pressure while we're waiting to receive the Holy Spirit anew. Here's the warning. It looks like a success to be much, much more popular in town, but that may not be God's will. Say, look at all the people that are coming. We're the most popular thing happening in town. There's a caution here, and don't worry, I'm not singling anyone out, nothing, um, but there's a warning here. Because there's a kind of conversion that isn't the genuine article. There should be no surprise when, when revival is happening, when the kingdom is advancing, when God is using his people powerfully, the enemy wants to get in on that action. If you can't join him, if you can't beat him, join him. So Paul writes, 2 Corinthians 11, uh, verses 14 and 15, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. See, Simon was amazed by the signs. As Ella Fitzgerald uh, sings, he was bewitched, bothered, and bewildered. Wow. Zap. Kapow. Kazooie. But he wasn't amazed by the person of Jesus. And I'm sure his natural magnetism, his character, his way with words, his ability to emote so easily just drew people in. Well, you know, folks, it's important to note, not all of us as Christians feel the Holy Spirit in a very dramatic, emotive, hallelujah kind of way. And that's perfectly natural. 
Not everyone's wired to express themselves emotionally. Not everybody's wired to express outpouring of, of how they feel about, I love Jesus! We're not all, we have different life experiences, uh, temperaments, personalities. What will be evident, what it does look like when someone has received the Holy Spirit, is this. It looks like spiritual obedience. Spiritual worship. Spiritual righteousness. Joy is found in obeying God. Fulfillment in worshiping God. Wisdom in trusting God. Whether you raise your hands or shout out, I can say even right now, I'm, I'm feeling something or I feel nothing. It's in obedience and trust. You know God is present in your life. In this situation, there's a big impact in Samaria. The kingdom of God is on the move. The city is abuzz, yet we have Simon as a warning. Let's look at the next verses, 14 to 17. When the apostles of, in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Underline there, receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they again, underlined, received the Holy Spirit. So word gets back to HQ in Jerusalem, and they send the big guns, Peter and John, to see what's happening in Samaria. And the Samaritan saints, they're there, they profess faith, they said we believe, they've given their lives to the Lord, they've received Christ, they, they've been baptized. They've experienced signs and wonders, the likes of which most of us have never even seen. And yet Paul records they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. And theologians for two millennia have debated this. Is there one baptism that, that comes and, and all the benefits and the filling of the Holy Spirit comes and regenerates a, a person? Or, or is there a, a second baptism? Like you need to you have your one baptism, but then a spiritual baptism and and I will say this, this is instructive. It's not necessarily prescriptive. Again, Acts is a unique, unrepeatable time in the early church. God the Father saw fit to withhold giving the full manifestation of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit's power until the apostles arrived. Why? Why? Well, Luke writes that on hand are the number one and number two apostles in the entire world, this newfound church, they're there to pray with these people, for them to receive the full treatment and experience the Holy Spirit. Imagine how much this would increase their faith from generations and generations being told, you're not a part of God's people, being told you're half-breeds, you're outsiders, you're not welcome. What an extra measure of God's good grace to these people to have the two most important leaders in the world show up, meet them in person, know them by name, lay hands on them. And conversely, for them to know, okay, well, I guess the church isn't just anywhere we want it to be. No, something happened in Jerusalem. We have a newfound respect and affection for the leadership there in Jerusalem. And we are now part of the family of God. I think that's what's happening. Okay, verses 18 and following, we're, we're coming, down the, coming down to it. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit 
was given at the laying on of, hand, of the apostles' hands, he offered them, what? Money. Uh-oh. And said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you. Because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money? You have no part or share in this ministry. Because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Oh, no, 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 no. Simon's true colors are showing up, right? This is why tradition in the church calls Simon the first heretic. He got that label. Not a label you really want, the first of, first heretic. Instead of asking to receive the Holy Spirit by faith, say, Lord, please come into my life. I, I, I need you. I need more of you, God. I, my life's messed up. No, he wants, what does he want? Kazam! Power! And he wants to pay for it. And just look at the way he talks. Me, 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 me. I, 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 I. The pride of this man. He's not seeking Jesus. Friends, here's the invitation. We've had instruction. We've had warning. Here's the invitation, friends. Even as you sit here listening to me right now, and even as you watch at home right now, if you but ask, Lord, help me. If you but say, Lord, I want to receive the Holy Spirit right now where you sit, where you watch. Our Father eagerly wants to give you his spirit. And graciously wants to outpour his presence into your life. God's love and grace wants to come into your life. That's why the Lord's grace is so different. His love is so different than the world's. The world's transactional. You do this for me, I'll do this for you. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. That's not the way of our great God in heaven. Simply ask, and you will receive. But Simon thought he could buy that authority to bestow spiritual power. And so Peter sets him straight. And I love this. This is classic Peter. He's kind of harsh. He's sort of intense at first. And then the pastoral heart kind of takes over. So he says, may your money perish with you. You have no right to be here. Repent, pray, hope God will forgive you. And then we see Peter, who has a spiritual gifting of discernment, which he didn't have when we see in the early years when he was following Jesus. Remember how he didn't understand people, the, the rich young ruler that said, I'll follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. And Jesus sort of turned away from him. Peter's like, what? Dude, that's the man. Now he has the spiritual empowering, the gift of discernment. He says in verse 23, I see you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. The invitation was there. And Simon goes back to his old ways, his old MO. What does he do? He tries to manipulate. Verse 24. Pray to the Lord. Hey, can you uh, take a message for me? Pray to the Lord. Make sure nothing like this happens to me, okay? He had no sense of fear of judgment. No sense of his own spiritual wretchedness, bankruptcy, unhappiness. Now, we don't know what happened to, to Simon, but we know that the ministry grows. The final verse, and after they further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. It took a deacon 
who'd never been called to this, had no idea he was going to be used in this way to go and effect change. And then the big guns came in and the gospel spread. What's instructive here? A couple things, and then we're going to close it up. For revival and mission in our church, one person faithfully fulfilling what God has called them to, forced from his home, running for his life, used by the Holy Spirit in a powerful, unpredictable way. You get to Acts chapter 21, verse 8, and this Philip the deacon is called Philip the Evangelist, capital E, the Evangelist. And so, friends, we cannot predict how the Holy Spirit will empower us. We are aware that what's happening now is not to be surprising. It should not be something that causes us great fear, but we should be encouraged that out of the midst of this hardship that we're finding ourselves in, God will accomplish his purposes. Let's embrace this hard time. Let's expect it. Let's stay courageous. Let's stick together and let us be witnesses and press on. One person, one person in this room or watching at home, God's going to give you an idea, something like, ah, I wonder if this might work. Will you please call me, call one of our elders, let us know. That very well may be the Holy Spirit working through you to change everything. The warning, y'all watch out for the likes of Simon. Unless we look around and we say, okay, well, is that Simon? Is that Simon? The finger pointing should point at me, at ourselves. Because we're all susceptible to the root of all sin, pride. Me, 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 me. I, 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 I. When times are hard and we're stressed, we want to protect ourselves. We want something for ourselves. We want things to go our way. Okay, along the way, if I can get some power in that, if I can manipulate, if I can get God to do my bidding, I need that parking spot, Lord, where is it? Whatever it might be. We need to check our own heart before the Lord. Pride's the issue. Proverbs 8.13, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. What are the things that you're saying and thinking? They are not honoring to the Lord. Proverbs 16.5, the Lord detests the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Jesus paid for your pride and my pride on the cross. To sum up James 4.6, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Let's be humble and watchful for what the Lord will do in this place to bring revival. And finally, the invitation, I'll invite Brian and the team to come up and we'll have a closing song. The invitation. If people experience life change, freedom from prejudice, inclusion in the family of God, the breaking of social barriers, and joy, in short, they were experiencing the kingdom. This is what the kingdom looks like. And you can receive the Holy Spirit afresh, anew, right now. It seems like there's multiple times of praying, laying on a hand, Jesus breathing in on the disciples the Holy Spirit, and then them receiving it on Pentecost and again and again. Why? Because we're holy people. <laughs> the Holy Spirit needs to be refreshed and refilled, and you can experience that right now. Courage in the face of threat, care and sensitivity to others. This is what it looks like to receive the Holy Spirit. And yes, maybe it looks like speaking of tongues and prophecy, but even Paul will say uh, to the church in Corinth, he says, hey, I speak in tongues and prophesy more than any of you. But he says, you know what's most important? Loving others in the power of God. So 
So may we love in Jesus' name and his power and serve in his power to share God's love. I'd like to invite you to pray with us as our church is in the midst of waiting on the Lord. And we'll have an update on on, uh, the 23rd of January. We're going to have a congregational meeting just before this service, between services. You'd be invited to come and hear the latest update on the We Are Family Impacted Mission. The, The plan is to expand our campus to build a third floor to expand classrooms to serve what we call our Jerusalem, the schools here in our, in our area. But we're waiting on the Lord. Our elders are, are seeking discernment, seeing do we need to modify the plan? Is this of you, Lord? So I invite you to be praying for us, praying with us. This is us together figuring this out. So let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for this, this message, this word today, Lord, that is instructive. It's a warning, but it's also an invitation. Lord God, I pray for my beloved here in this room and those watching at home. Anyone here who wants to say, I want to receive the Holy Spirit fresh, would you just put your palms up, hands open on your lap? If you want the Holy Spirit to come in a powerful way in a loved one's life, put your arm around their shoulder right now. You can lay your hands on their, on their shoulder or on their head. Nothing more beautiful than a parent or grandparent blessing a child laying on of hands on another person, on the next generation. It might be a young couple that's in the row right in front of you that you barely know, but you know that they're just kind of figuring things out. They've been married for a short time. Maybe they're dating. You pray for them. So, Lord, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and powerfully pour out on us and on our church and on these people individually. God, that we might receive afresh your presence and your empowering. And Lord, that we might then be sent forth for the purposes you call us to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. And all God's children said,